It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. And once again, we are joined from Roto-Wire's Corey Smith with us. How you doing, Corey? Doing all right, man. Thanks for having me again. Uh, we got... It's magic throwing no-look passes in practice. We got Earl Thomas being voted off the island by the Ravens and a key RB running back injury to talk about today. So definitely a few things to talk about NFL-wise. And I see, too, if you pick Gardner Minshew overall with the number one pick, you'll get a bunch of Bud Lights. So, I mean, there's there's that promotion out there as well in your fantasy draft. And again, yeah, this is the big weekend where a majority of the fantasy drafts are held before uh, Labor Day traditionally. I know it's later this year, but traditionally this would is the big weekend for fantasy drafts. And, of course, with everything going on, a lot of them virtual, this is uh, prime time for everyone right now. It makes sense. I, I know that a lot of people in my league prefer to draft closer to the season especially in a redraft format just so that you get less of the season-long injuries that come up before the season even starts so especially in a season we're going into uh the COVID-19 2020 unprecedented year we'll have to see how it's all going to play out but if the season does go on, it does make sense to draft later than sooner, in my opinion, for sure. So what we're going to start out this week is with uh, five fantasy football stats you will not believe. Now, <laughs> folks, you will not believe this. As Corey works hard getting some show notes together, we were going to talk about David Montgomery. Well, today, hours before our retaping here tonight, that uh, he went down in practice today. He suffered a little uh, injury. I, well, it might not be little. It might be a little bit more significant. Uh, Coach Matt Nagy of the Bears says, hope it isn't severe. I haven't heard much of the Chicago media on it, but he suffered a growing injury is what they're calling it. So he was going to lead it off here, but we'll still stick with it. The five fantasy football stats you will not believe. So we'll roll into it. And number one with David Montgomery here. Number one here for David Montgomery. Finished sixth. In the entire NFL last season, in goal line rush attempts. <laughs> now, I will say one thing, you know, that is certainly a startling stat off the top. We're going to have to watch this injury from Montgomery. Heard from Adam Schefter today. It's not believed to be serious, but certainly in the midst of draft season, it raises an eyebrow and it's something to research further as the days go on here. But Montgomery, more than you would think, just a beast in the red zone last year, especially down near the goal line. He had one more goal line rush attempt last year than did Aaron Jones, of course, NFL leader in touchdown runs. He was only behind Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, and Mark Ingram for goal line rush attempts last year. He had 14 on the season, did Montgomery. So while it seems he was a little bit overdrafted and a little bit overhyped coming out of Iowa State, the hope is that I think you know, hopefully he'll be more efficient. Certainly the sheer volume was there for scoring opportunities for Montgomery. And down the stretch, he played better over the second half of the season. He had four different games last year with 16 PPR points in Montgomery. And all four of those games came over the final 10 weeks of the regular season. He overall improved from 8.8 PPR points per game to 10.8 over the second half of the season. And he was really hit or miss. I will give you that. Over the second half of the season, this is an unbelievable stat on Montgomery. Weeks 8 to 17, not a single time did he go between 7 and 16 PPR points. He was either under 7 or over 16 
every single game from week eight on. So I'll grant you, he's a, he's a boom bust kind of guy, but the red zone opportunities are going to be there. And I don't know, Paul, do you think Nick Foles comes in and wins this job and maybe gives them a little bit more life? I'm thinking that may be an advantage for Montgomery too here. It it might be. Now I have a bears fan that uh, a friend that's a big time bears fan, and he doesn't want Nick Foles to win the job. He wants to come in as a backup because he says that's when Foles works his best. So I don't, I don't know what the starting quarterback job is, but I believe if Foles is the starter, good things will happen for Montgomery. But also, too, I was a big believer last year in Tariq Cohen going into the season because I thought, boy, he is showing some signs that Nagy wants to maybe use him. Maybe he's going to be like a Kamara back for the Bears, and they're going to go to him a lot out of the backfield. Well, that was proven wrong big time last year. I don't know if this year how much of a factor Cohen is to cut into the production of Montgomery or if they're going to let him roll this year. In 2018, Tariq Cohen finishes the 11th best back in PPR scoring. He was just uber efficient, though. That was the main thing about him. Certainly more value in PPR than standard scoring for Tarek Cohen. But I think he's kind of a high floor, low ceiling type guy going into this season. You know he's going to probably get in the neighborhood, you know, five, six, seven targets a game. He'll be a decent PPR back, kind of like a Naheem Hines flavor for the Indianapolis Colts. That's kind of the way I see Cohen. More of a high floor, low ceiling guy. Not someone I'm especially targeting this year. With those later picks and mid-round picks, going for probably more upside than Cohen. But, yeah, they kind of do fill different assets or of that Chicago offense, and they have different roles, of course, Montgomery versus Cohen. I think that Montgomery is still going to get to work, and Cohen, to me, high TPR floor, but not a ton of upside. And I guess with Montgomery, is it one of those cases, too, where you are in the draft, and if, if it's deep in the draft, you're like, hey, he's a starting running back on the team. I may as well take him because what I'm looking at is a bunch of guys right now that are backups and potentially might see some time where this guy guaranteed is going to get those touches. I do love Montgomery for that reason. And the overall workload in addition to the work inside the five-yard line, he averaged 17.1 carries per game last year from week 8 to 17, 13 or more carries in every single one of those games. Yeah, Paul, I mean, it's just sheer opportunity. He was relatively inefficient last year. But it's a starting running back in the NFL, gets a lot of goal line work, gets a lot of carries, period. And if he can start to be more efficient like he was for the Cyclones uh, in college, I think that Montgomery could definitely be an RB2, surprisingly. But if I go into the season with him as my third or fourth back, I'm feeling okay about it. Definitely as my fourth back. I'm feeling really good about it. If he's my number three, I'm fine with that for sure. All right. What is our second stat that we will not believe? Number two, A.J. Brown. Last year, Titans rookie receiver. He's the only wide receiver in the Super Bowl era with both 1,000 receiving yards and 20 yards per catch <laughs> in his amazing. rookie season. That's just an insane combo. And I was thinking, how about Randy Moss? He had, to, he had to have been right there. He was at 19 even, exactly 19 yards per catch during wow. his rookie season of 1998. For A.J. Brown, what that tells me is two things. I mean, to get to 1,000 yards, you have to be – Highly involved, so he's heavily utilized in an offense that's one of, if not the most, rush-heavy offenses in the NFL. He only had 84 targets last year. Compare that to guys like you know Mike Evans, Galladay. They're in the 115-120 range. Mike Thomas at a ludicrous 185 targets on the high end, but yeah. 84 targets for number one receiver is pretty low. The fact he's able to get to a thousand yards—that's crazy. And 20 yards per catch over that large of a sample size, I think that's the real deal. 
In addition to that stat, he averaged 12.5 yards per target last year to lead the entire NFL. The only other receiver who went above 11.1 yards per target was Stephon Diggs. So A.J. Brown, super efficient, down-the-field threat, great speed after the catch, and also more involved the season went on, as you would expect, gaining more trust and Tannehill playing very hot down the stretch, of course, but just 4.3 targets over the first half of the season. Brown went up to 6.3 targets over the latter half of the season. Also, eight touchdowns. That's a solid total, especially for a rookie wideout. He had four over the final four weeks of the regular season, finished hot with 110 yards over three of those final four games of the regular season. I don't know how Ole Miss wasn't better, Paul. I look back. They had both <laughs> yeah. DK Metcalf. They had A.J. Brown, and they couldn't break 500 during any any season with the Rebels. I mean, it's a tough conference, Paul, but yes. come on. you got to do better. That is unbelievable in itself when you think about that, <laughs> those two on the same team, and they could not uh, – they couldn't muster anything more than a 500 record. Uh, unbelievable. And, you know, A.J. Brown, he's not in that top tier right now. He's a little bit low, it looks like, but – Man, he I think he's a great value if you can get him where he can right now. Yeah, he's going as a mid-tier wide receiver two in 10-team leagues. I yeah. really like him over a couple guys in front of him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Cortland Sutton. There's still some questions about Locke. He finished up the year in Denver 4-1 and one over his five starts. He's a rookie, very good. Uh, multiple touchdown passes in a few of those games. He went crazy against Houston last year, did Drew Locke in that Broncos offense. But I still think I'd take A.J. Brown over him. Cortland Sutton going in front of Brown in a lot of sites. But yeah, I think wide receiver two for A.J. Brown with upside for sure, even in a low-volume offense. Now, I'm not sure. He's kind of in the same neighborhood as Metcalf going into this year, so I do think Brown is a little bit less of a... He's a higher floor than does Metcalf. Metcalf could go off for 20 points some weeks last year, but could sink you with a you know mm-hmm. six-point game in PPR scoring. So I don't know. I like A.J. Brown a little better this year for me. What is our third stat people will not believe? Number three, and this is a guy we, we touched on last week with the Texans, Brandon Cooks. Here's the stat for this guy. He had 1,000 receiving yards in four straight seasons, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. Only three other receivers in the NFL did that. Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Mike Evans. Now, I, if you tell me, I can't believe that. You because... give me a set of four guys. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't either. Who doesn't fit in this group? It's definitely Brandon Cooks doesn't fit in this group. Yeah, because I'm always ragging on him that he's injured, but obviously he proves me wrong with these numbers. The thing is, he's only missed a few games the last couple of years. Yeah. As frequently as he's been out with concussions, he hasn't missed that many games. He's missed some playoff time. Of course, he got knocked out in the Super Bowl when he was playing with the Patriots against the Eagles a couple years back. But I like him better than a couple guys going in his range. I think Golden Tate, his ceiling is somewhat limited. Giants got their whole dose of weapons back on offense. I think he's a high floor but low ceiling kind of guy, and I would prefer a Brandon Cooks to him. We did talk about the idea of stashing Randall Cobb and Kenny Stills as well as kind of an insurance mm-hmm. strategy. I think that's definitely viable in a deeper league as a standalone standalone value because I think Deshaun Watson still going to be a great quarterback, still going to be spreading the ball around. And I think in deeper leagues, those guys have standalone value. But as a backup to Cooks, if you're going to take Cooks in like the fifth or sixth round, I think it makes sense to complement that with maybe a Cobb or Stills four or five rounds later on. I do think this is an offense that I want to be invested in, in the Texans. And what we really got to think about here is all those targets that are going to be open with DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona. He ate up 150 targets last year, certainly on the high end of all elite receivers. 
But I don't know, Paul. The question here is, do the concussions give you pause? And are you going to be swinging at Brandon Cooks at all this year in fantasy drafts? I am starting to lean to drafting him. I, I am starting to go that route because you, you, you kind of turn me with these numbers a little bit. And like when I see who's on the board next to him, I still can't believe that yeah, this guy has proven it year after year that he can put up some big games and numbers for you, and some of these other guys are so inconsistent. It's like, why is he still on the board? But it is because of the injury issue. No doubt about it. And I will say this about the injury, too. Former Rotowire, now ESPN injury analyst, Stefania Bell, she's typically very conservative with guys in fantasy who have an injury history, and she's saying... Every indication she's getting is that Cook should be in pretty good shape for this year, and she would be willing to spend a draft pick on him. So if okay. Stefania Bells wants to invest in Brandon Cooks, I think that uh, I think that it's worth a mid-round pick on this guy. Maybe your sixth-round draft choice somewhere in that neighborhood. What is the uh, fourth one? A guy we've been kind of talking about here a little bit, Derek Carr. What stat won't we believe of his? Well, this one stood out to me, and I've got, I've got a kind of a combo here, but the, the big surprise was Derek Carr had the second-best completion percentage in the entire NFL last year, behind only Drew Brees. Now, we know he's conservative, but he's built his way up and become more and more efficient as the years have gone on. He started off as a rookie for a 3-13 and Raiders team, completing just over 58% of his passes. Now he's up to over 70% last year, and really, I don't think it's kind of a you know one-year phenomenon. He's been ascending every year except for one off year in 2017 where he was still around 62 or 63%, I believe. The thing with Carr, the frustration is, is he going to push the ball downfield? He's got an average depth of target of just 6.6. That puts him at the very bottom end of the spectrum, probably the bottom 10, 15% of quarterbacks. Tom Brady, for comparison, last year was around 8.1. Carr again at 6.6. But just because he's a conservative player, I think we kind of sleep on Carr. A lot of it because John Gurdon himself doesn't seem to love them. I mean, they have the <laughs> highest paid backup quarterback in the NFL. We heard a lot of buzz about them being interested in Kyler Murray when he came out. But my question is, who's, who's holding back who in this relationship? I mean, yeah. they're pointing fingers. We've got the Raiders. Wins above replacement. It's a stat that basically compares you as a player versus the exact average player at your position. So the, the lower, the worst. Mm-hmm. The Raiders roster last year ranked 29th in wins above replacement. So they were the fourth worst in the entire league. Derek Carr, meanwhile, wins above replacement, ninth among quarterbacks. That kind of gives me pause. Now, sure, that yes. could be a little bit wonky, but wins above replacement used by you know highly analytical people in baseball and football, that really stands out. Ninth to 29th, that's a pretty stark disparity. I don't know. You made a good point back there about the Gruden thing because I was thinking back to even his Tampa days, there was never a quarterback we loved in fantasy that was on that Tampa roster. There was guys he was always trying to develop. He wanted the veteran in there, but we never loved him as fantasy quarterbacks in a Gruden system. We loved him back in the old Raider days when he had Rich Gannon way back in the day. But I'm just saying, over time, I can't remember the last quarterback I've loved in a Gruden system. This I do like Derek Carr a lot, and I think – they have some weapons in place for him to succeed this year. And, you know, you've got some great numbers back in the point here. Now, we do have recent updates from this week. Looks like Terrell Williams is going to try to play through injury this year. But overall, I don't think the Raiders have ever had this many weapons offensively. Waller, Jacobs, all the rookies coming in, including Ruggs, Lynn yes. They've got more weapons than ever, but I still don't love the Raiders' uh, quarterback position, Derek Carr, in fantasy this year. I think that he's a decent, you know, 
QB2 option, but I do love him. If he moves to another team, he's a guy to keep an eye on for Dynasty for sure. He's only 29 years old right now, and he's been close to MVP form at previous stages of his career. So you think maybe a trade deadline deal maybe this year if if things don't work out? I mean, because they do, like you said, they do have Mariota just waiting right there, and they, they're paying him. So if they want to move on from Carr in season, would they do it during the deadline? It's always on the table. I feel like those are pretty rare, especially with the quarterbacks, uh, the midseason. It could happen, especially if things kind of you know go off the rails for Carr. But I do think he's a much more accurate passer overall than Mariota. Of course, there were some really exciting things about Mariota when he was coming out of Oregon, everything he could do with his legs. We really liked him in the short and intermediate. But I don't know. He just really has not been super reliable. He's had some good years with completion percentage, but he has not really gotten the offense going. And I just think that, you know, the odds are better for Carr long term. It's possible a midseason trade, but I see it more after the year most likely. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on the quarterback situation in Las Vegas now. I can't get it all mixed up where they are now. We're going to move on to the fifth and final stat, and it does with a defense. All right, what is it? We talked about you got some in your league taking defense, you know. Tenth round. round pick. Yes. Kick them out. Yes. Get them out. Get them out. The numbers show that it does not pay. How about this? The Bears scored 2.7 more points than any other defense per game in 2018. So basically they gave you a three-point advantage every single week over every other defense. The 10th-ranked defense was, was Washington. They were at 7.5 points per game. So top to bottom, if you had the number one Bears defense, the worst person in your league, you had a four-point advantage every week. Now that's enticing, especially when you fill up your receiver slots, you fill up your running back positions, you got a quarterback – you're like, well, I don't have anyone on my bench, but I'm going to be starting a defense every week. Let me get this defense that went crazy last year. It's all about the value. The Bears that year in 2018, they were on nearly a third of championship rosters in fantasy, but they were drafted in the 14th round, the third yes. to last or second to last round in most fantasy drafts. The next year, which would have been last year, 2019, they were drafted as the number one defense, but they only produced as the 20th best defense. They only put up six fantasy points per game last year, did the Bears. They were drafted a full two rounds before any other defense. So that's my point. It never pays. There hasn't been a single defense since 2000, the last 20 years, mm-hmm. that has repeated as the top defense. So that, for me, we got to wait till at, at the earliest, if you're going early defense, maybe 12-13, very early. But I would say last couple rounds is the place to bet for defense because about half the defenses that are drafted top 10 finish outside of the top 10. It's just super unpredictable. So that's my advice for this week. Don't I, go defense early. I, I am with you on that because when I see that happening, I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me because it's not like they can go off for shutouts or whatever. I guess there could be some justification that you might grab them. But again, like you said in the numbers, and I believe you with this, the number one defense from that past year rarely repeats itself, and it's time to look for an up-and-coming defense. I mean, I drafted San Francisco's defense in the 15th round last year going in because nobody yeah, nobody thought they were going to do that's anything. That's great value. Yes, nobody thought they were going to be great. Now I see this year, everyone's jumping on San Francisco right away, and I they got a lot of great talent there. Don't get me wrong. I think they are should be one of the first defenses off the board, but not in round 10. I tell you, I completely agree. One team that I see here looking at my rankings, the Eagles. Yes. They're going in the mid-teens. They've still got Fletcher Cox up front. They bring in Darius Slay. 
some more additions. Malik Jackson coming back. He's been injured. He's been banged up. But, man, their defensive line is insane. They were the third-best rush defense in the NFL last year. I just love that Eagles defense. I think that that's a team that I see going in the mid-teens among defenses. You can pretty much take with your last pick or second-to-last pick. That's a sneaky defense I think would be really good this year. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Fantasy Football Zone, those five surprising facts. Good job, Corey Smith, finding those. And, yeah, really helping you out with the draft. A lot of those guys that we mentioned, they're in those, I guess, tweener areas where we're like, do we pick them or not? Some of those numbers might help you out with those decisions. Our next episode we are going to feature on best ball leagues and some great values you might want to take a look at as well. And, of course, you can check out our past episodes, getting you ready for those awesome leagues, also those keeper league drafts, general redraft as well. We got you covered helping you out with the 2020 drafts this year. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftToThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.